0: The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the Assisted Reproductive Technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Welcome to another episode of the i3 podcast, where we invite you once again to go beyond the webinar. Here, you're going to join the panel following a session called Best Practices in Cryo Storage, discussing the issues concerning the problems faced by clinics around the world with the increasing rising inventory of frozen specimens after IVF. Huge thank you to this session's sponsors, Tomorrow Life Sciences, and we're going to join the panel now. Make sure you're listening to the end of the episode to find out how you can follow us on our socials. Of course, subscribe, rate and review this podcast to make sure other people find it, and how you can find out when the next i3 sessions will be happening.
1: Okay, how was it for everybody? Let's start off with uh, Anastasia. Was it okay?
0: Yeah, it was great. Thank you very Um, much. That was really
2: good.
1: Uh, we had a lot of people there, loads of questions, which i think I think we covered a fair bit of the ground, didn't we? Yes, we gave the experience from you know from, you know from the u s where, where where the technology started it's obviously it's coming to the u k but it, but it's a global issue you know I mean everyone's got a growing inventory, so if it doesn't apply or people don't think it does at the moment it's you know it's coming their way and, and I think we saw that with um you know the people that were there
3: right i th- I think that the global um, aspects uh, deserve the differences deserve attention and they need to be addressed uh, because the laws are different the you know we we say oh is this it's fda approved uh well fda is just in the united states so you know uh, i mean the, there are aspects that should be addressed and um the systems should be compared and uh, contrasted and uh, so that everyone can benefit from the information and uh, be able to apply it to their own situations and circumstances.
4: Yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, I think we need to, you know, there's, you know, FDA clearance, you know, there's MDR, MDD in the EU. I mean, you know, the United Kingdom, now that you've left the EU, you know, now you're you're developing your own UKCA, um, you know, but there's different regulatory schemes in different regions of the world and don't hang your head, Giles, it's not your fault. Um, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's a great point. And I think, you know, where one might be, it might be regulated in this country, it might not be in another country. So I, I think it's important to talk about, um, you know, what, what fits where, you know, and how.
5: I do think though that there's um, kind of a common common thing though across across globally is that the worry of the cryostorage because like glenn mentioned it's one of the things that as embryologists just keeps us up at night and it is the cryostorage um so that whole process is something to revisit um and and i think that's a common common problem across the globe really
1: and of course and of course you know each you know each country has got its regulations to be said and of course it's got its these regulations, you know, are not the quality and, you know, and it's like, F, you know, FDA and, and CE mark or whatever, but you've also got regulations on where and how you can store them. Now, some people say it can only be on the ground floor. Some people say it's got to be, you know, it's, it's, it's got regulations, you know, about the ventilation and, 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 how, and how, how it has to be done. But I wonder how many countries have this policy of um, already having this sort of like, you know, off-site storage because I think that there are some in the UK who say that they can do off-site storage, you know, these biorepositories. But I think, you know, Patrick pa- pa- tells tell us a, a little bit about in the UK. Um, you have to have some kind of partner clinic, don't you, that like, looks after your samples in an emergency. And I think some of these biorepositories are, you know, on paper at least, they've been approved to store those samples in the case of emergency. Are you okay so you're nodding your head are you um are you aware of that
5: i think so it was a while ago since i i looked into it but as you mentioned it i think that there are some clinics possibly the smaller ones maybe that um have, have had that you know tpa that agreement with those bio repositories, repositories. but a lot of clinics have partner clinics locally that you know,
2: mm-hmm.
5: even we have, we have three partner yeah. three
2: partner clinics and mm-hmm. uh, one large well, it's accidental. Two large, one small. Well, it's reciprocal. Mm, yeah, because but I don't one think if... they, can, they cannot yeah. take all of our work. One clinic, mm. they cannot double in size overnight. Mm. Well, what
1: when, was when, the last job I had? Um, UK embryologist was uh, knocking down a wall to make more space. I mean, every year we used to buy another duo. You know, yeah. you're yeah. nodding your heads. Is, you know, is that what you're seeing in the UK? Yes, every year,
2: one jewer. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what we're having, um, and now it's becoming a problem. And we're it's, a only out of
5: gonna, space. it's only going to get worse as well, like you said, um, with us with the 55 years. So, we're going to need more and more mm-hmm. space. And for me at the moment, our, our clinic's relocating, so it's kind of that time where we're thinking how much prior storage are we going to need um, to have in our new facility um, and to future proof it. It's, it's really very difficult.
4: Yeah, I think one of the things to consider, at least for you guys, is, you know, what percentage of people will want to maintain, you know, for, for that length of period of time. And now, you know, as as we think about what's going into cryo storage, it's not just embryos for family building, right? It's it's eggs. And so a 20-year-old that freezes her eggs might not want them for 20 years. You know, I mean, we're realistically looking at decades, you know, uh, uh, of storage. And it's, you know, I mean, like, if you look at, like, where where is your clinic in five years, you know? at the rate you're freezing and the ramp of acceleration of, you know, you're freezing, you know, wh- where, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I mean, I would ask Thomas, you know, as well. He's, he's probably going to lease another building, um, uh, <laughs> to, to start putting those in, but I think it's a real, I think it's a real problem,
3: you know? Oh, yeah. And I think that, uh, these are the types of things that legislators, <laughs> legislators and legislatures uh, are unaware of. Uh, mm-hmm. They, when they come up with this brilliant idea of 55 years of uh, storage, uh, are they thinking, do they understand what that means? You know, um, and also I mean by the same token this idea of of no cryo storage fees you know that's also problematic because in the US um sometimes patients are motivated to uh once they are past uh, their uh, reproductive age or they are done with their uh family building um treatments uh they, they uh, will think about discarding or donating their material because they don't want to pay the storage fees. But if you don't have any storage fees, there is no incentive whatsoever. They might just forget. Uh, and then we didn't even touch on the subject of abandoned embryos. Uh,
4: that's a whole podcast in itself. It? Regulations, yeah.
3: That, so with that, that is a major risk of cryo storage because and it's a risk for the provider you know to end up with thousands of embryos that have been abandoned so with you
5: the in with the law change in the uk they've recently brought it in so uh, previously oncology patients or patients for fertility preservation would have up to 55 years and then every 10 years they'd have to get certification that they're um, assessed as prematurely infertile as such to be able to extend it whereas mm. now um, all patients have that access to the 55 years but they have to reconsent every 10 years so there's a 10-year checkpoint mm. but 10 years is a long time so it's, it's long. <laughs> long. Even 10 years rather than 55 five years 55 is long um, really right. long but 10 years is also a long time because we have samples in storage that uh, mm. uh, in effect will we'll pay other people call legacy samples that, or historical samples that we really struggle to keep in contact. So I think a lot of it is up to the clinics from the outset now to make sure that the patients understand that they really do need to keep in contact with their clinics um, and that there is a responsibility from their end as well as the clinic because otherwise you end up with lots of samples and no one wants to be that person that throws away a sample because you've lost contact with a patient and for them to come looking at your door it's, it's the worst feeling. Um, to have but to think about I,
3: that so. but it's also the liability mm. you know, i don't know of anyone who just systematically goes through and says okay we haven't heard from this one there goes yeah. uh, their sample and the, practically speaking most of those samples will end up sitting in uh, cryo storage indefinitely
5: and I think the difficulties as well for us with, I don't know how you found it with Anastasia, but with the NHS patients, sometimes if you have patients in storage that have had NHS funding for, say, for mm. example, 10 years, if they go to their GP, um, they think that they've updated their address, they've updated their contact details, and, and it doesn't kind of filter its way down to the actual clinic storing it, um, and that becomes a problem as well.
6: So, yeah, it's hard.
2: yeah, yeah, we to try to contact everyone if we have a um if
6: they allow us. Yeah, and again, it's
1: you know, it's an enormous amount of you know, like admin on top of things. You know, like no one likes to chase patients, no one likes, you know, even to you know talk about money because that's you know, that's not our thing, you know. We want to be in the lab, but you know, there's there's embryologists all over the world who are, you know, chasing up the patients, seeing what's happening, um, in in a space which is getting bigger and bigger. And, you know. Like, like, can you imagine a world where you didn't have that cryo storage and you could just, you know, have it delivered? You know, when you wanted it, and you didn't have to do that because it's a hell of a lot of admin that you have to do.
4: I, I think, I mean, I, I think this is where we need to to kind of shift the thinking and 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 bring the patient kind of back into this as 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 an engagement, right? I mean, we're making a contract with the patient that they're going to pursue treatment. Um, we're going to cryopreserve these tissues. And then we really need to start setting, I mean, obviously there's historical stuff and you know legacy samples that we need to figure out, but I, I think, and I'll defer to, you know, to Dr. Katz here, but I mean, I think it's, it's incumbent on us to build some infrastructure wherein the clinic is very clear roles and responsibility and the patient has very clear roles and responsibility. And if either of those two don't live up to their end of the bargain, then that's a breach of contract. So, I think we need to start thinking of it in such a way where here we go. We've, we clinic have agreed to freeze and store for three years. You patient have agreed to um, freeze with us and store with us for three years. And if you do not pay your bill, and if you lose contact, and, you know, I mean, at least, you know, there's there's some guidelines, ASRM put out guidelines some years ago, if you have a breach of contract, if you have not paid, if you've lost contact, if we've tried to reach out with you for X period of time, you know, X number of times over X period of time, we can say that we legally and within good conscience will take those tissues and dispose of them in an appropriate manner. I think we have to start, I think we have to as an industry start drawing a line between, you know, what is, we we just can't keep this open-ended responsibility forever and ever. So I I think we have to do a better job of discussing that with patients. I think we have to do a better job of informing them. I think we should, I think we can build tools to provide better engagement with the patient. If the patient pays up front for two years of storage you can't be two years from the last point of contact. You know, I mean that's not enough time. We need to build tools to have regular engagement and give them some some value, some perceived value for what they have in storage and almost remind them on a regular basis in order to have that continued engagement. But I, I really do think there should be consequences for breaking that contractual agreement. Um, Dr. Good. Katz, you know, yeah.
7: Well, Cynthia, what you said was eloquent it brings up some complexities that I can quickly mention but really are for the time and now. So in the US, the majority of states have protections in place for medical malpractice and medical relationships. One of the issues we're facing as an industry is if we use cryo storage contracts um, as business contracts and not medical contracts, then those protections that are built in across the country go away and that's what plaintiff lawyers want. So before that happens, because what you said was really eloquent, um, there has to be a handful of um, court decisions that value embryos, eggs, and sperm. Because when you have a breach of contract case that's not medical, everything will focus on what was the value of the loss. And so since we don't have a value placed on these cryo tissues, if we move them out of the medical malpractice arena into the breach of contract arena, um, there could be um, devastating consequences. Let me give some examples. A, a, a winery, a, a winery storage arena in Napa Valley has valuable wine bottles in storage. But even those are valuable wine bottles, there's a market to determine the value of that wine. So on a breakage or a loss, a breach of contract lawsuit, there can be an ending. What you're seeing with the accident in San Francisco in particular, that enormous values were placed on the loss or potential loss of those tissues so for the third time what you said was absolutely perfect the problem is is our system in the us is not ready to go there yet until we can define the value of a
1: potential loss but also you mentioned again and you know even and it's a shame that natalie's not here because there's a fantastic podcast which was you know, patient-facing, and talk, talk, about the language. I mean, I used to, I used to use the word, let's um, say, discard, and that is sometimes offensive to patients. You know, um, there are many words which you know you could use for that. But people that have stored embryos, perhaps it's easy for them to let things lapse. And in the UK, you can't, you, you know, you can't store embryos which have passed their consent date. That's correct, isn't it? You see, that's a, that is a criminal offence. In ways but for the patient who's saying well maybe i'm denying my child you know like a sibling if they have these storage bills which are you know like mounting up all the time they're going to rather like wait than actually you know go to them and give them this large amount of money which is building up and then for them to uh, let the mbo's pass if you like um and they've lost the money but they have you know but you know they've also lost, they've also lost that chance so maybe like a monthly sort of fee, which again, some people are doing, which is, you know, like a Netflix, you know, subscription or whatever, which just works automatically, just so they don't have to think about it, is an answer. But it's still a very emotive topic, isn't it? And, and, it, and it's still a matter of that a lot of people want to push it into the, the long grass. And it's what you said before, Cynthia, is that patients have to understand that there is a limit to this. And again, maybe there's a choice about storing off-site or on-site. And, and, and again, there's various cases where you do want to store for a long time, especially, let's say, egg freezing or in cases of cancer. But I think patients would be better informed. Um, that might be the way forward. And then they can choose where to store the samples.
7: There, there's something
1: important, if I could just jump in and leave
7: with everybody to think about. The number of carriers that are writing coverage for the cryo-stored embryos, eggs, and sperm in this country is dwindling, and it's dwindling fast. Almost all gynecology policies that are out there that I mentioned do not have coverage for cryo-stored eggs, sperm, or embryos, period. So what the clinics are not realizing or hearing, and this is really important, um, they don't have coverage. So like they're sitting in doers and somehow they think they have coverage, they don't. That's the scary part to me. And I thought I would leave that with the team on the call here because I can't push that too hard. But imagine you have an old-fashioned doer in your lab in the United States and something happens. You don't likely have coverage. How scary is that? Super scary. Yeah.
2: So... Silly question, maybe, but do the biorepositories currently of gametes embryos have this value and this coverage?
7: The ones we insure do, the clinics that we insure do, we have a specific endorsement, on Sasia called the REI Protect endorsement that spells it out. But I go back to the fact that the other couple of carriers that are still in this field, they don't have expertise. So they're like, oh my God, long-term storage? Why would I want to cover that? When they don't understand that long-term storage is safer than clinic storage without the tomorrow tank. Because in clinic storage, you're doing all your other things, right? Fertilization, culture, transfer. You're not staring at the tanks. Like I have the joke with some carriers, like You know, there's a team at these long-term storage places that are playing video games, right, on their phone. But they're staring at the tanks, right? They don't have anything else to do. In the lab, everybody's so busy, no one's staring at the tanks. You know, that's in part what happened in Cleveland, in California. No one was paying attention to the tank.
5: On the question of the tanks, I was just wondering if anyone has an idea about the lifetime of a viewer um, and because obviously, a lot of clinics have lots of small standard doers that, you know, aren't necessarily valid- validated yearly. They're monitored, but how long do you know what the lifetime is on on a standard doer?
7: Well, I can't comment on the lab part. Someone else will, but I'll comment on the liability part. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, First uh, of all, I don't believe that doers go bad without giving the lab team enough time to replace it. So you should have a backup doer available. You know, there's some studies out there. You all know then where they, after the San Francisco incident, they drilled holes in the tank. I think Dr. Pomeroy took part in one, Don Kelk took part in one, where they drilled uh, an eighth of an inch hole. Correct me if I'm misrepresenting, but they had like 20 hours before... The temperature and the doer rose to a, a danger level. So I don't firmly believe that, and I said this today, that people walk in and the tank is blown up. There's signs that people are paying attention that will protect that. So, you know, your tank is good until you have a problem, right? Because if you have a problem and there's damage, then the plaintiff lawyer is going to say, what's the expiration date on the tank? but these tanks last forever. So there's a quandary, right? When maybe you can comment. They're not good for five years or 10 years, right? Charles,
6: they're good for a yeah, long I, time. I, but I, if they I'd have like a problem,
7: to, uh, you got a problem.
6: I, I, I'd like to comment real quick. It, it's not as much about um, how long the tanks are good for, but how long is the warranty good for. And, and that's the conversation they have with the manufacturer, right? What are they interested in warranting it for? Um, realistically, all of these vacuums are always failing. And what I mean by that is, is that the vacuum is only as good as it is on the first day. You have infiltration of hydrogen ions um, through the metal, regardless of how thick or how strong it is or what grade Um, steel it is. You have ions that are going to be infiltrating so that the vacuum is slowly but surely going to be losing its resiliency. Um, So you will have these things eventually fail. One question I've had posed to me over the years and one question I keep on asking is, is why do these manufacturers not put a vacuum sensor in the vacuum? and let us know what it is. The most likely explanation, although I've never had a manufacturer tell me this, or even though I've had conversations, is, is that they do not want to be demonstrating that basically the tanks are constantly failing failing from the day they're manufactured. Um, it's as simple as that. So I really think that the key question is, is how long is the manufacturer warranting these tanks for? Um, we've seen recalls in the last five years on some of the manufactured tanks um, because of issues that have popped up and you now they were covered by warranty if you had just purchased the tank. So uh, I think that's key overall.
3: I just wanted to say something about the warrant. You know, this is a, a, a subject that has been discussed on many of the I3 sessions on cryo-governance. And um, I uh, think that the consensus is that, uh, you, we are not following the manufacturer's warranty period as a uh, as the expiration date of that unit, um, and that there are ways of uh, monitoring by continuous monitoring of the evaporation rates. You can tell um, whether a dewer is on its way to failing, and that is reasonably simply done if you have good data you know you have to be able to analyze the data collect the data analyze the data and say this jewer is going to fail you know uh, because the rate of evaporation is much higher than expected so there are ways of assessing uh the evaporation rates and if you do that uh, you could reasonably hold on to jewers that seem to be seem to be okay uh, even though they are older
1: sure because we've talked a lot of um, as you said Mina you know about the warranty but also like you know the jewers aren't what they used to be you know they're using like a different alloy in there and they're not the same but and again, at the Alpha Conference recently, it's only recently that we've, that we've actually been, like, dissecting the duos and looking inside and seeing how they work. And for, for as long as I've been working, it's literally, it's literally been plug and play. You just buy a jewel There's no feedback with the companies. OK, you know, there's no how to use them. You know, you, you know, you read the instructions if you want to. Whereas, you know, these things are storing such precious material. I and mean, I mean, these vats haven't changed in, you know, in decades. So we buy them, we fill them up, and we use them, and we, you know, place on our alarms or our, you know, weighing systems or even, you know, thermal imaging, which is available now. But it's all retrofitted onto an, onto an, um, an existing bowel which holds liquid nitrogen. Which, uh, you know, it's time for us to think a little bit more. I think about that.
5: And then you just buy more and more of them.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. And,
2: and then <laughs> in the UK there's a delay of about six months, I don't know, <laughs> worldwide. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, but the, the, the reality also is that um, there is a sort of a monopoly on <laughs> the manufacturing of these units. So if, if a single company um, has been supplying hundreds of Labs with hundreds of units. Um, I I wonder if they don't have a responsibility to uh, to actually educate the people that are buying these units from them.
8: And, That's a and great think- point, I mean, It speaks volumes, and 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 there's a lot of things when you monopolize the market in terms of uh, of the receptacles that store these. Uh, And and as Giles just pointed out, the quality of these has gone down considerably in the last few years. Uh, Michael had just mentioned hydrogen ions constantly. It's not as good as the day you bought it because it's constantly being bombarded by hydrogen. And the palladium oxide within the vacuum space, uh, they don't put as much in there because it's it's more expensive than gold. So obviously they're not going to put as much palladium oxide inside these tanks as they used to so, 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 there's a lot of things that play single market monopoly on the market. Uh, there's a lot of things that play that together, um, work against us, and just uh, we have much higher need for that type of monitoring, for that type of proactive response before we get into trouble. We have certified welds with a lot of these tanks. A lot of the older tanks don't have those certified welds. Robert. Yes, sir. what's a, what what's a day like? in your facility like
1: a a clinic wants a sample you know how does that go about what happens in in the clinic just tell me a little
8: bit about that if you if you may sure so so what we describe it as is an in-clinic instance at an off-site biorepository whether or not you have a robot at your clinic or not we would give you a portal we would give you a website where you could request storage or retrieval of those specimens uh, that are at the offsite biorepository. And we make it a very facile process. So you have complete transparency in terms of the inventory that you have stored offsite and you have a mechanism by which to either store, I want, you know, the, these 50 specimens stored offsite uh, and, and we contact them. We, we schedule delivery, we charge the shippers and and, and do all of that kind of Uh, back work or if they need to, to retrieve those types of things they go into their computer saying i need patient jane doe i need this beacon id and everything is tracked and traced as well as the transport itself is tracked and traced
1: so there's there's an embryologist there and like i said i've seen the machine it's like a fantastic you know like atm it's got eye recognition this is the second model i know you've got two models the embryologist would go to this this storage device with this ticket press a few buttons it comes out automatically yeah and then it would be there and it would just like getting any of the sample from any of the clinic or any of the sperm it, it's bank, using, or the
8: bank yeah it's a specimen management software system so you right. see uh-huh. all of your patients uh inventory within there the same as we would mm-hmm. but We're not going to touch those specimens unless the clinic deems so. So, so You
4: make the ticket. We'll take it out of Mm -hmm. the system, but you're the one making the ticket. I'm not telling, you know, you're not going to call me. You're not going to send an email. Hey, we need these four patients back at this time. You're literally Uh going to put it in yourself and it's going to come up as a work order on our side. And we're going to execute the orders that you put in.
1: Perfect. Okay. Okay. Got you. There's no sort of like chasing up. There's no telephone calls. It's all on this portal and you will get them. I presume in this Netflix, Amazon world where you you get everything sort of thing. It comes as quick as it can humanly come to you, I suppose that's the case, isn't it? And then we'll, you can start. We'll,
4: yeah. we'll have an arrangement, yes. You know. Yeah, of
1: course. Yeah, you know, because it's so new, and it's been done for so long. You know, in the ways that we know. Uh, I know Christiana there. You know, with her large storage room there in Greece. You've got like requests from many doctors and, uh, and many patients, and and in fact, patients are eager to get their samples because a lot of clinics have a protocol where they won't start anything until they've got all like, the eggs or you know or the donor sperm or the embryos in the clinic so the embryologist is being bombarded with telephone calls you know are they here yet plus trying to organize with his third party courier um does that ring any bells with you yeah?
8: yeah absolutely you need a dedicated customer service liaison someone who has the the empathy to, to, to speak with some of these folks and and i don't think that it really exists uh so so Yes, I, I think that there needs to be a lot more customer support. We do have a, a direct-to-patient campaign that we've just launched recently where um, if patients uh, choose to store their embryos or, or, or eggs off-site, we enable that for them without having to deal with a clinic. So so again, you give patients the options and you make things transparent for them and describe the situation in terms that they understand and, and they'll, they'll resonate with.
1: And and has that happened? Yes, yes. Sir.
4: Because
1: yes,
8: there's, there's a lot going on. Here.
1: There's a lot going on in the United states at the moment, isn't there? State to state variation in the, in the legal system. So yeah. Well, has yes, there been any people? Yeah. yeah.
4: Mm. It's an interesting and um, potentially well fluctuating legal um, status for uh, for frozen tissues in certain states and I think it's it's become an uncomfortable um, place for patients to be in, you know, will I have the right to decide what to do with my frozen embryos, um, if I live in, if I live in a state, if my embryos are stored in a state, and I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's causing, it's causing great concern, Um, so patients want to have the option to move them to what they feel is, is a safer, um, state, you know, in Mm -hmm. this country, Um, and so we've, um, we've developed, um, we weren't, Going to do that um, this year, but given the political climate, we did accelerate that part of our um, sort of offering, where we now can contract directly with patients um, to store their embryos long term.
1: And what about what about patients that? Um, um, and again, has anyone had experience of this that sort of think think that this you know that I'm so glad that they're with my embryologist, you know, I'm so glad they're in the IVF clinic, you know, close. You know, um, is that the case? Do you think maybe maybe you've heard that at all, as opposed to being far away?
4: Yeah. Again, I think it's um I I think it's a shifting mindset, right? You know, if the clinic, if we think the clinic and their core competencies are as um, this is the place I want to go for my family building activities, I want to have a baby, I want to preserve the option to do so. Um, we never imagined you know, and speaking as an embryologist, we've never imagined ourselves to be long-term biorepositories. We've always been, it's always been, well, I'll freeze, you know, the extra, I'll freeze the rest, or maybe now I'll freeze all of them because I want to test them. Um, it's its it shifted clinically, but we haven't really shifted mentally. So we've shifted clinically in such a way that now we're freezing nearly everything that comes into the door. Um, but we haven't shifted mentally to say, well, by the way, we are long-term biorepositories and we don't really have the infrastructure and the square footage, you know, to handle that. So I, I think it's, you know, from a patient perspective, um, I, I think there's there's going to be a shift for that too, right? You know, if, if I go, if historically everybody has kept everything on site forever and ever, no questions asked. And I think we really need to challenge that assumption at this point. I think the patient to understand, well, I'm going to freeze my eggs and I might not want them for 20 years. Is the busy fertility clinic that has a line of patients for daily ultrasounds and and blood scans is that the right place to store my tissue for the next potentially ten or twenty years? And I think you know there's uh, there's 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 we're going to have to figure out how to broach that, you know, with um, with with patients and, and with ourselves for that matter. You know, are we are we biorepositories or are we clinics? We function as both. But I think there's I think there's a distinction to be made between active and then sort of inactive um, tissues that we're looking to store for them.
1: And, can I, and I may cut this. I may cut this. I'm not sure because i it, it could be a silly question, but for Stephen now, um, there are clinics where they have to say they have to, you know give to their auditors and their economical auditors um how many samples they've got in storage. And I think this, sort of like relates to you know like stock or, or sort of worth for that clinic does that go into how you insure the clinic you know for example if they've got let's say twenty thousand embryos is that how they work out how to insure a clinic or do they just want to know how much you know revenue or or potential revenue they've got there because i never really understood why you have to give this like detailed audit to you know to the like economists in that sense
7: When we first started this program in 2016, the carriers would always ask, you know, what's the revenue? And I pushed back and gave the example the revenue doesn't matter because you could do a thousand cycles at a thousand dollars per cycle versus a hundred cycles at a thousand, you know, ten thousand dollars a cycle. The revenue may be the same but the risk is completely different. So we don't use revenue at all in our underwriting. On cryo storage um, underwriting, Giles, we use actually shipments, shipments in and shipments out. That's a bit proprietary. It w- I invented it because I don't think the risk is actually in a tomorrow tank, the storage. I think the risk with the tomorrow tank is really reduced across the board. But the risk to me in this field is significantly putting new specimens in a tank, pulling out specimens, using the right specimen, not discarding the wrong specimen. So I focus on that aspect for my risk underwriting. How many specimens overall plays a role but it's really difficult for me to quantify that. Sadly, I'm not even sure some of these clinics have a handle on their legacy problem. And so, you know, I focus on how busy is the clinic today? How many cycles are they doing actively? How many transfers? What is the in and out in the storage? But um, I'm having a hard time, because it's a really great question, when they move to the Tomorrow platform, I actually would like to give them credit for using the Tomorrow platform, based on what percentage of their samples they have in that platform, because then I feel like I have an idea of really what the risk is. In In the US, that economic audit, I don't really think goes on. It certainly doesn't go on from the insurance point of view. It may go on for other reasons, but not insurance. Charles, I could make you laugh. You have a really good sense of humor. The carriers that don't have expertise in this field, they have no idea how they're underwriting. And I mentioned that in my talk today. They have a standard application that says, do you, you know, do terminations of pregnancy, do you do bariatric surgery? Do you give anesthesia? It's just they don't know how to underwrite. And that's why the more our field blossoms and the more the risk is unknown,
1: the more likely they're going to bow out. Well, it's getting increasingly difficult to be insured as a local embryologist, you know, because I don't know exactly what goes on. And you try and tell people your job and, you know, and they win a mile. But, you know, I don't want to go into that. That's for another session, really. Um, right. And I
7: answered that question during the, the yeah. talk. We added that. Because I do know how to evaluate an ICM embryologist coming in, so there's no reason that can't be added, which we did.
1: Great, great. I mean, it, it'd be good to see now that people are, you know, when people are designing new labs, that perhaps, and again, it was always like a, like an afterthought. Where would the cryo storage go? But as I'm thinking about it more and more, I'm thinking that maybe you can have a smaller cryo storage. Because you, you know you're thinking ahead and saying yes, the, you know there could be a certain percent which is stored offsite, and you know and that can make all the difference. Because um, you know you rarely see pictures of cryo storage um, areas on an IVF clinic's website, do you? You, you,
0: you know you'll see
1: like, you know, you'll, see the, the and you you'll see the lab, you see the you'll see yeah. the you know and the reception and, and whatever, but you won't really see see that corner, will you? So that's uh, that's interesting. Closet, I call
4: it a it closet.
8: I mean, you're preaching to the choir, and you said it so uh, articulately, Doctor. You, no one has the time to stare at these tanks all day, and no one has the redundant measures that a biorepository incorporates to make sure that that risk is minimized. So so while we're not playing video games, we're definitely doing other things. We're, we're, we're busy <laughs> taking internet, uh, but but at the same time, uh, I, I think that there needs to be a scalable, sensible uh insured solution that that, that 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 can get us out of this conundrum uh, of just buying doers and storing them under desks and,
7: and you know my video game joke goes a long way
1: thank you everyone that's fantastic i think we should leave it all there with a very interesting dialogue here with the after- party so again, thanks again. We should do another one. and We should look inside these bio repositories. Let's let's see what they're like. It'd be fantastic. It'd be fantastic. Oh, yeah.
2: An invitation. And, and also, oh,
1: yeah. an inspection. Okay, ready?
2: Invitation, no inspection.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: informal, informal visit. Whatever you call it.
0: Just a casual
4: pop in. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars. Plus you can sign up for future ones, download our electronic membership card and find all our social media so we can stay in touch.